I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design, with the second part of a conversation that aired on June 20th, 2022. It aired a day in advance of a Beverly Hills City Council meeting that was set to determine the correct or incorrect issuance of a certificate of ineligibility, and ultimately what led to what would lead to the future of this property located at one of the most famous residential, on one of the most famous residential streets in the world. And depending on which side of the issue you preside, it did or did not end well. So I'm not gonna rehash the issue because that has already been done. Everything that needed to be said was said. If interested, you can find the episode in the podcast feed or go to the show notes and click on the link to listen. The episode is pretty much the last chapter. This episode, rather, is is pretty much the last chapter uh, until I ultimately will report back to you with what will be built after this Carlton Burgess designed house is torn down. And I have no doubt that it will be torn down. Um, I think that that's pretty much a, a settled issue at this point. I'm also not gonna relitigate this issue. It has already been done. And again, I will say everything that needed to be said was said in a marathon city council meeting, a Beverly Hills city council meeting. I'm gonna play some excerpts from the meeting itself because I want you to hear some things. But first, I want you to know that I, I, I see value on both sides of this issue. If you've been listening to the podcast for any amount of time, you know how I feel about design and architecture and designers and architects. I, I, I love what they do. I love what they represent. I love the fact that they make our lives better. I love good design. I believe in it. I believe that homes are machines made for people, and they are there to serve us and the communities in which we reside. I believe in property owners' rights. If you spend the money to buy something, and you follow the rules, and you do it with transparency, you should have the right to do with that property what you wish. At the same time, you have a responsibility to your community. Unless you're going to go build something out in the sticks, out in the middle of nowhere, um, if you're doing it in a community, you have a responsibility to that community whether you like it or not. I also believe in preservation because it's culturally important. If you look at Beverly Hills alone, so many properties of note by legendary architects have been torn down. And it's not because there was not a buyer for the property. To the contrary, many of these stories are not known until the process for saving them makes the news. And by then, well, listen, it's too late. Falcon Lair, Pickfair, Garden of Allah, the Brown Derby. It's not just Beverly Hills. But here's the thing. Beverly Hills failed miserably in this case. Identifying labeling, and securing an architectural treasure within their city boundaries. And, and this, this particular property is an architectural treasure for, for a litany of reasons, for a number of reasons. And again, I'm not going to relitigate it. If you want to go hear, the, hear the, the whole story, you can go listen to the past episode, part one of this. But city council, with the notable exception of Mr. Marish, uh, John Marish, who was on that episode with Jamie Rummerfield of Rummerfield, Woodson and Rummerfield's House of Design, as well as SIA, Safe Iconic Architecture, the rest of the council seemed more interested in the minutiae. They seemed more interested in meeting and rubbing elbows with Mr. Baker and seemingly just interested enough to as to avoid any political blowback when it was, look, it's one thing to talk about it, but when the trucks come up and start destroying this home, all the people 
who live within the, the boundaries of Beverly Hills and, and surrounding cities who did not know that this was an issue, they're going to be up in arms. And listen, that's just how it goes. A side note relating to the historical issue, Beverly Hills will be allowing the demolition of a 10,000 square foot home within the majority, with, with the majority, if not all building materials, they're all going to make their way to a landfill. The environmental impact alone is significant. And again, is it really in the best interest of the community? Um, there are so many issues to unpack here, and unfortunately we can't unpack them all, but what's important to note is 1001 North Roxbury Drive is not a teardown and was not a property that someone would just buy for the dirt to rebuild a dream home. Th this property has been lovingly maintained. It has a significant history in Hollywood lore. Jack Benny, Lucille Ball, Desi Arnaz, supposedly Esther Williams swimming in the pool uh, in the backyard. This, this property has been published in shelter publications, of which you're going to hear uh, attempts to tear it down and attempts to misappropriate what's important in architectural and design reporting. It's really interesting in the process of trying to assure that this property was not listed as a significant property. Well-respected shelter publications and websites were deemed nothing more than shills for paid stories to promote those who, who did the work. As we dig in a bit, you're going to hear segments from the City Council meeting of June 21st, 2022, and you're going to hear segments from over three hours of testimony and debate. Mayor Bossi and city planner Ryan Golick explain how, how this got here in the first place. As you listen, note that this only happened because the property was sold and the new owners applied for a certificate of ineligibility to begin the process of potentially destroying the home. And I say potentially because as of this recording, the home has not been torn down yet, but I don't have any doubt that it will be and that it will take place as soon as the permit's clear.
so that's how we got here. Benjamin Hanlon of Latham and Watkins, a, a law firm, now explains in detail, and by the way, masterfully lays the groundwork, a roadmap really, for obtaining a certificate of ineligibility. Regardless of who the architect was, regardless of what the structure is, regardless of any of the other criteria that the Beverly Hills City Council has laid out, doesn't matter. Benjamin Hanlon of Latham and Watkins did a clinical takedown of city process. And it was masterful, and you're going to hear him. And I'm going to play it for you because as you listen to him, just it, it was an incredible performance. Um, and I, I'm not saying that sarcastically. I mean it. He, he did his job. But before I play it for you, I think it's important for you to know I don't really care if this home is torn down or not. And hear me out, because the reason is very simple. I don't live in Beverly Hills. I don't drive by this home on my way to work or dropping off the kids at school. I don't walk my dog by this home. I don't see it in any way, shape, or form. And because of that, this does not affect my life. And so it does not materially affect me if this home is torn down. Another erected, large gates installed. It, it, look, if if the new owners want to revive the Sheik's house in Beverly Hills, it still doesn't affect me personally. That's on one side. Knowing that this particular property is being destroyed, th that is sad to me. But again, I don't live there. I am not part of this community. But it does affect the community of Beverly Hills, and it directly affects those who live, work, and visit. It, it, it's offensive, though, to hear the manipulation of facts and the, minima the minimization of significance. The tearing down of what Beverly Hills has, has deemed already uh, the work of a master architect within their community for the sole purpose of stripping social, architectural, and the historical value of this home that's what needed to be done in order to get this certificate of ineligibility upheld. And look, talk about exceptional. Benjamin Hanlon is an exceptional attorney. In just 13 minutes, he completely dismantled the city's standards for what would qualify for preservation. I believe we will see his approach in the future. He laid the, the, the groundwork for this. Mr. Hanlon according to Latham and Watkins' website, is here's his, his background. Quote, he practices in all areas of environmental law with a particular focus on major infrastructure improvements and California Environmental Quality Act litigation, governmental and administrative law, as well as matters involving local and state administrative and legislative decision making. He provides advice to private developers, corporations, institutions, and nonprofit organizations regarding local planning and zoning regulations and related environmental matters. State land use regulations, including the California Environmental Quality Act and the California Coastal Act. So this, this lawyer is very well qualified. He is very well spoken. He was very well researched. And you're going to hear 13 minutes of a masterful takedown.
So that was incredibly impressive. Next up are the words of architect Mark Rios. Here's what he had to say. Quote, providing dignity where it might not have otherwise existed, end quote. Mr. Rios talked about, quote, 
our communications PR team worked with Lux to place these articles as marketing for our firm, end quote. I am, I got to be honest, I am so confused by this because I believe in the editorial integrity of shelter publications like Lux. I, th I think what he said is insulting to them, to their editorial staff and to their ed editorial team. And if, if I were them, I, w I would be disturbed by that, to think that the only reason something was published is because they sent a letter to the editorial team through their internal PR communications team promoting, promoting a work. And by the way, if the work wasn't important, would Lux have published it? I, I don't think so. Um, I think it's disingenuous. I think it's insulting to Lux, and I I hold Lux in a in in high regard, and um, I think their editorial team is fantastic, and I find it truly troubling to think that a communications and PR team of an architecture firm is guiding the editorial to be a promotional tool, specifically for Mr. Rios's firm. Um, I don't understand that. And I was honestly a little shocked to hear him say it. I also think it's disingenuous to tear down the work of another creative, as it certainly represents a golden era for Hollywood Regency and architecture and Beverly Hills in particular. That time frame is when the legend of Beverly Hills was cemented in large part due to the stars and the star architects and builders crafting the structures that you see today. You simply cannot have an iconic example of architecture without an interior space and an exterior space. I, I just, I don't understand the argument. I, I hold Mr. Rios in, in high regard, as I've said. I think he's an incredibly talented architect. I was, I was saddened by his words, um, and I didn't really understand it. But at the same time, Mark Rios is entitled to his opinion, both professionally and personally. I, I also think that because he is such a talent, his work on the interiors and exteriors added to the significance of the cultural value of this property. I think if that were included in the petition, it should have added historical significance to this argument and not detracted from it. If you want to know what upsets many people most about these types of hearings, well, here you go. I, I'm, I'm going to edit this a bit because I don't feel the need to call out the council member by name. Because first, I, I don't want to embarrass anyone here. These are civic-minded members of the community doing something very difficult. and the slings and arrows from both sides of an issue come directly at them. I understand that they have a very tough job to do. At the same time, making comparisons from this issue to summary judgments and disqualifying the very information that is required because there isn't enough of it is not only antithetical to the very reason why you do this, but discredits the entire process along the way. Listen and decide for yourself. Okay, altogether con confusing, but to put it in context, it was in response to this.
Side note, in the show notes, you will find a piece written by Lambeth Hochwald for AD, Architectural Digest. <laughs> one, of, one of the publications uh, questioned during this, this, this hearing. It covers the Darius Rucker renovation of an 1803 home, an antebellum home. This piece online shows five images, and only one is of the exterior very much the same, like the exact same issues pointed out by all looking to devalue 1001 North Roxbury, yet the point of the article is about the betterment of a historical property by what is done to it later in its life. It is identical to the conversation happening here, and if you read the article in AD, you see the celebration of preservation compared to this particular situation in Beverly Hills, where it was not. Moving on. So listen, in conclusion, if an iconic city like Beverly Hills wants to save their cultural treasures, if city government wants this on behalf of the community, they have to realize a few things and take some action, which is infinitely more challenging. First, if you leave this up to city staff, it will fail. Most, if no city staff of Beverly Hills live within the city limits of Beverly Hills is my guess. And yes, this is an assumption, but look, staff earning government salaries are not living in 15, $20 million homes or paying four to $6,000 a month for rent of an apartment. That means they simply interpret the rules as written. They're not stakeholders, and their interpretation is not that of a stakeholder but one of a bureaucratic entity, of which they are. Next, if you wait until a property is published, if that's your criteria, you're going to fail. Shelter publications don't send out writers and contributors walking down the street to go look for amazing properties. To find architecturally significant homes, they just don't do that. They don't have the staff for it, they don't have the budgets for it, and that's not how it's ever been done. They receive submissions from the likes of Mark Rios and other companies through their publicists or internal communications teams to plant a story idea. That's where it starts. Then it's up to the editors and contributors to decide if it's something that they want to write about. And look, nowadays, magazines' budgets have been slashed. Their staffing has been slashed. They don't have as many writers. The writers don't get as many words. They don't get as many stories. Editorial has been significantly cut, and if you listened to the remainder of the meeting where they bashed websites uh, that contributed, you can't succeed 
No publication is going to just publish your most significant architectural properties on their own. To make that work, the first thing you have to do is is throw out that criteria because in, in all in all honesty it's just silly as is the fame of the individuals who live there because the fame of the individuals who live in a home has absolutely nothing to do with the significance of the architecture that too is is absolutely ludicrous it's ridiculous famous subjective is it only stars of stage and screen not industry will the bakers soon to be designed new home at 1001 North Roxbury Drive be designated as architecturally significant because I have no doubt that the structure will be designed by an amazing and highly published architectural firm. I'm sure of it. And I am also sure that the interior design will add to the architecture as it must. Perhaps Mr. Rios will be the designer of this project as well. It could be his third, his third round of 1001 North Roxbury. This is purely speculation, but if so, or a firm like his with an internal communications team as skilled as his, they will get the story published. And further, Eric Baker is a titan of industry as the founder of StubHub. He and Dr. Baker have have been well published now as the owners taking 1001 North Roxbury Drive down. These are things you just can't do, City of Beverly Hills, because now you're making the story. This will get published. So if in 30, 40 years, somebody wants to tear down the Baker's property that they're going to potentially build in this space, they can go back and look at all the publications, including maybe podcasts will be included in the criteria and they can listen to this episode. And yeah, it was talked about. That would meet your criteria. It's silly. You just can't do that. If you do, you will fail. Here's what you can do, Beverly Hills. First, establish a registry of every property built in Beverly Hills before 1970, because that's the already established date that you have. Then make a rule that no architecture can be considered until after it achieves a certain age. 1970 to 2022 is 52 years. Make it 50 years, the number of years for consideration. What have you paid for consultants to debate this issue? Why don't you spend the money on making it work? This is like spending money on, a secu on security consultants to discuss ways to make something safer versus hiring a well-respected company to install a tried and tested security system. Other municipalities have tried and true methods for doing this. Did you reach out and ask anyone else? Cornell University, for example, offers a course in this. Why are you cobbling together your own system for this? Because if you do, you will fail as you have thus far. If you want to make this work, go look at what other municipalities are doing and copy it. The next is cross-tabulate that list of residences against the list of your 150 master architects. Side note, for goodness sake, Beverly Hills, Carlton Burgess lists his occupation as a quote-unquote contractor on his 1940 census. Do a modicum of research and it doesn't have to be an architect. Add builder, contractor, or developer to the criteria because it should be a builder, architect, contractor, or developer to the, in the criteria. Then your rules would not be so easily circumnavigated. Next, for goodness sake, again, clean up the verbiage. For the amount of time you spent discussing your views, you could have solved this by clarifying the issue itself. To say something is, is quote-unquote exceptional, exemplary, or otherwise flowery, flowery language only opens the issue up to endless debate and disagreement due to subjectivity. Make it simple. The property is architecturally consistent with other works of the master architect within the city limits of Beverly Hills. This does a few things as is the case with Wallace and F. It eliminates an experimental project like his bubble house in Pasadena from contributing to a situation where there might be an anomaly. It also limits the subjective nature of the work to that which resides within the city boundaries and is consistent with the architect's work. That's an easy debate because that's subjective, not subjective. It just limits the subjective nature of the work to that which, again, resides within city boundaries. This also gives prospective buyers the confidence 
the homeowners have now the confidence to know what they're getting into or not. I, I think it's unfair what the bakers were put through. I do. I, I, I think I'll hold that comment for another day. I think it could have been presented in a in a better way. I think maybe they could have found another property that wasn't as significant to tear down um, and potentially tear down and build uh, something else. Anyway, moving on. Take an image of the home's exterior and publish it yourselves on the city's website so everyone knows the property's been identified and registered. If it's not on the city website, it doesn't count. That way, nobody in the city can claim they didn't know an iconic property was destined for the wrecking ball. And finally, educate yourselves on, on what others are doing successfully and replicate their work. It's simple. It's really, really simple. And all of this was, in my opinion, it was completely unnecessary if the city had done the work on the front end to get this done correctly and succinctly. So that's a wrap up of what happened. The last word here is not going to be mine. It's my voice, but the words I'm about to read are from council member John Mirish. Here's the letter he sent me the day after the vote. For a copy, please check the show notes um, and I'm gonna publish it in its entirety. Mr. Mirish wrote, when it comes to historic preservation, actions, not words, matter, by John Mirish. Historic preservation in Beverly Hills is dead, and we killed it. Last night, at the behest of paid lobbyists and highly remunerated lawyers, the Beverly Hills City Council majority failed to protect one of the city's most beautiful and iconic estates from the wrecking ball. I dissented. Despite the false claims of paid consultants, the Carlton Burgess masterpiece at 1001 North Roxbury Drive has been a constant beacon of elegance of Beverly Hills at the corner of Lexington Drive, the exterior largely unchanged for eight decades. As was confirmed in testimony last night, the house has maintained its integrity, but sadly many individuals, including anti-preservationist interior designer Mark Rios, who worked on an update for the interior design of the home, have not. We are quite literally back to square one for historic preservation in Beverly Hills. When the definition of historic preservation, Beverly Hills style, was, and once again is, taking a picture of a landmark building before tearing it down. Those who actually wrote our ordinance explained in great deal detail that 1001 North Roxbury indisputably met the ordinance's criteria for the non-issuance of a certificate of ineligibility in the plain language they themselves wrote. It didn't matter. Listening to the tortured, warped rationalizations of people who should know better and who make a mockery of all of our lying eyes represents government at its worst. Hiding behind paid staff who constantly puts their elbows on the scale and consciously choosing to believe the twisted angles of lawyers who would and do say anything for money is not a sign of civic courage. However, this behavior does expose how money has completely infiltrated and polluted our political system. The pretense and attempts to gaslight the community are infuriating and need to be called out. If you don't like historical architecture, just say so. If you think money trumps everything else, just be honest about it. If you don't respect our community's physical legacy, fess up. But you can't have it both ways. That's not how it works. You can't claim to care when your actions speak another truth. Gaslighting the community only serves to divide us even more. It's like spitting in the faces of and throwing salt in the wounds of those who truly do care. Each time we lose a building like 1001 Roxbury, a mosaic piece that is so irreplaceable and so integral to the fabric of our community, is like losing a piece of our collective soul bit by bit. It's nothing short of heartbreaking for the community, but at least there were many voices in the night who valiantly went on record to say, this is wrong. It can't always be about the money. Our community matters. Many thanks, many thanks to Craig Corman, Jill Collins, Linda and Jerry Bruckheimer, Allison Martino, Diane Keaton, and the scores of others who stood up last night to speak truth to power and truth to money. You get it. 
you give us hope that one day, perhaps, we will be able to value, respect, and honor our architectural legacy with more than crocodile tears in a matter that actually means something. Until then, rest in peace, 1001 North Roxbury. Rest in peace, community over cash. Rest in peace, historic preservation in Beverly Hills. Mm-hmm.